0: Brother Ungry brought a message on the heart this morning. Children, you can be dismissed. And that beautiful song that was just put together, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And of course, the most famous verse in that chapter is verse 16. And I want you to open your Bibles. Many of us have that verse memorized. And in fact, it... Uh, it's memorized so deeply that sometimes as we're quoting it, we forget it. And, and so I want us just to read it together this morning, if we could. Everyone out loud at the same time, if you would help me with this and, and kind of try to follow along. So let's all try this. If we mess up the first time, we'll just take time to do it again. All right. So let's try together. Here we go. All together. For God... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's an incredible verse, isn't it? Really, it is uh, a summary of the entire message the Bible in one verse. And this morning, the subject that I would like to try to deal with is the love of God. How in the world can we cover a subject so vast? Uh, There there is no way, and and yet the greatest part of God's love, it's directed toward us. As individuals. Yes. God loves the world. But. He's talking about individual people. In this world. The, uh, the Bible tells us. That the very hairs. Of our head. Are numbered. That God. Watches the sparrows. Now how many of you know what a sparrow. Actually is. Uh, they're. In the bird world, they're actually a step down from pigeons. Uh, uh, It it is really the world's most worthless bird. About the only thing that sparrows really accomplish is building nests in chimneys and burning houses down. Uh, And yet God takes time to watch them. And when one dies, the Creator takes time to attend their funeral. An amazing God. He is far beyond our comprehension. God's love is universal. There's no one excepted from God's love. The power of that love was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. And yet, summed up in the phrase that is on the wall here behind me it is finished it's hard to believe Easter Sunday just two Sundays away and uh, Lord willing we're still on track to open the Morris Park Bible Baptist Church Easter Sunday terrifying for Brother Franz and Miss Sonia amen and she's going up and down, yes. But that's that's what faith is. It's all that time waiting and finally stepping out. You know, a lot of things to pray for from Morse Park. We got to get the tracks and the printing order is in. And uh, as soon as we are able, we will let you know. And we'll try to get a big uh, blitz up there just passing out as many tracts as we can let people know about the services and things but back to our subject of God's love people often ask the question why does God love us well he created us he made us and what how did we repay him by disobedience Rebellion against that love. And yet God has made a way that we can come back. Our verse, For God so loved the world. Every time I read that verse, every time I'm reminded that I am so glad that my God is bigger than the God of the Calvinists, the God of the Protestants, the, uh, the God that just stands there and says, well, I I love those that are saved. No, God loves the world. He loves every person. He sends His reign on the just and the unjust. Love is a verb. It demands action. We have so many illustrations of fake love. Uh, uh, one is the... Uh, I'm sure you've heard the story of the woman in the wedding dress on the golf course. And she comes across, and there's this guy getting ready to tee off. And he looks, and he says, I told you only if it rained. I'll tell you, there's some people that love things that they ought not love more than things that they really ought to love. Amen. And the theme of unrequited love. Oh, if it weren't for that, would Hollywood have anything to make movies about except monsters being killed and resurrected and being killed and resurrected? I mean, every story, you have the beautiful young lady that loves the prince that doesn't love her and then you have the other guy that loves her, but she doesn't love him. And then the other one that loves him, but she, he doesn't love her. And, and that seems to be the story of life. I mean, maybe that's why there's so many divorces in Hollywood, huh? But I want you to understand something about God's love. Just because you refuse to accept it, in no way demeans or harms God's love. You see, that's one of the great uh, uh, anchor points of Calvinism, that God's love is so powerful that it cannot be moved against. Oh, yes, it can. Because love that is not willingly accepted is worthless. We often tell young couples in dating and trying to help them understand what this thing called love is. Love without boundaries is slavery. A love that is not returned does not mean that that love given isn't love. But what good is love that's not shared? And of course, everybody laughs when I give the example. And how, how many of you in grade school wrote the note? I love you. you. Do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. And then you don't sign the note. And so how in the world is a person supposed to know? We do silly things. But you see, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You don't have to believe in God for God to love you. Because you do not believe in God's love or do not accept God's love does not change the fact that it is there and that His love is the only true standard of what love really is. Can we say amen to that? But for whosoever. And I I love my King James Bible. People criticize it because it's got great big words. But... You take those great big words, who, so, ever. How many of you need a dictionary to understand that? It's so simple if you just read it. You see, there's who, that's talking about a person. So means anybody. Ever means there's no time limit. Who ever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, here's what God does when He extends His love to us. He is giving us an opportunity To believe in him. What is our theme this year? Be still and know that I am God. What's the other part of our theme? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, God loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son because He loves us. Some people get critical when you start preaching about judgment and hell and and, and God's uh, perfect holiness and how none of us measure up. But let me tell you, hell is non-topical to whosoever believeth in him. If you'll accept God's love, you'll never, ever have to worry about God's judgment. Can we say amen to that? You see, God so loved the world that he made a way that we could escape the judgment we so richly deserve. We do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve to be made a part of Jesus Christ, to be able to assemble together in His name. But if you'll believe in Jesus Christ, if you'll believe in God's love, he'll save you he'll save you today it just i hope you don't mind hearing this but you need to understand we get used to knowing that the bible says that he gives us eternal life he saves us and it is a bond that cannot be broken but do you realize that almost every other religion in this world, you can lose your salvation. In the Catholic Church, you can be excommunicated. The, the church has the power, they claim, and of course this isn't Bible, but they claim that the Pope has the power or the, the priest has the power to take your salvation away from you. The Bible gives the church no such authority. Because once you have salvation, you can never lose it. That's what the word eternal means. But you go to your uh, high Presbyterian, your Reformed church, uh, other evangelical churches that... Fall under this, and many Baptist churches, by the way, are now trying to move back under the umbrella of Calvinism or Reformed theology. And those guys are the most nuts of all. You see, they understand that the Bible says God gives you an eternal salvation. It's called the perseverance of the saints, that you cannot lose your salvation. But, you see, the other doctrine they have is unconditional election. That means that God has chosen those who get saved and chosen those who go to hell. And you cannot know who God chose, so you can't know that you have eternal life. But if you have it, you have eternal life. Now, do you know why I get so upset about Calvinism? And we have so many people, a whole generation of young preachers are being sucked into this foolishness because it offers scholarship. Well, We don't have time to, devol- go, to, to run down that rabbit trail, but scholarship, true scholarship makes difficult things simple. False scholarship makes simple things difficult. I.E. politicians. Hello? Uh, How do you spend your way out of debt? Don't try that at home. It only works for Congress. You have to have very expensive accountants to cook those books. I'll tell you, it's, it's craziness. We live in a world Where the most simple things are made so complicated. You see, what is more complex? Can you give me a deeper subject than the love of God? I'll tell you what, you can't. And I love the testimony of Robert Dick Wilson, one of the founding, uh, not actually founding, but probably the greatest professor that ever taught at Princeton University. He's a very young man, about 25 years old. He said, I got 45 years until I reach 70. That's the number God gave me. So I will spend 15 years learning every language that the Old Testament was ever translated into ancient language. He said, then I will spend the next 15 years reading everything, every translation of the Old Testament and everything written about it in those languages that I have learned. And then I will spend the next 15 years writing about it. Tell you what, the guy had Really, one of the most intelligent men that's ever lived in this country called the United States. And somebody, as he was closing in on that end of that, closing in on his 70th birthday, said, Professor Wilson, what is the greatest truth that you've ever learned? And he said, Oh, that's simple. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Now let me tell you something. Even Mr. Wilson was tainted by the foolishness of Calvinism, but he didn't let it get in the way of understanding the simple truth of the Bible. That's our problem today. Is we want to dress ourselves up The fact that God would love us should make us feel most unworthy, shouldn't it? You know what we ought to feel like? The prodigal son sitting down at the table as the guest of honor with all the father and and all the people around thanking God that the son had come home that's why the son had nothing to say because what could you say except yes dad it's going to be your way from now on I'm not going to do it my way anymore and even if he said those things who would believe him He'd just gotten back. You know how he was going to have to say those things? With the rest of his life. Can we say amen to that? You see, God's love is given to us by God of His free choice. And He asks us To believe in Jesus Christ. Because that is the greatest demonstration of love. You cannot love like Jesus did. Jesus in the book of John says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But if you'll read Romans chapter 5, Jesus did not lay his life down for his friends. He laid it down for those who were in enmity and struggling against Him. He laid it down for those whose sin had made His enemies. No human being can do that. We often talk about the history of this great country in which we live and how many men served in our military and were willing to lay down their lives. It's it's an incredible, incredible history. But any one of those men who was willing to lay down their life to save the enemy and destroy our country would be a traitor. Isn't that true? Hello? Are we awake? Only God. Only God. Only God could lay down his life for his enemies and not betray himself. You have to think about that one a while. Only God could love us in the way that God loves us. But we need to move to the next step. We need to move because love is a verb, love gives. Love never takes. God's love is not diminished one infinitesimal amount because some human being decides he's not going to accept God's love. God is still God. His love is just as real. But the only thing that we can say about that human being that refuses to accept God's love is that he or she is a fool. That's the only thing we can say. There, there is no wisdom in rebelling against God. There is no wisdom in trying to approach God your own way. Because God has already paid that way. He's already made a way that we can approach to Him through Jesus dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. So therefore, it's not out of line at all that God would say, if you're going to come to me, you're going to come to me my way. Jesus was perfectly in line when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But you see, If you're going to accept that love, it's going to change you. It's going to do things to you. It's going to make you a different person. The way I like to put it is, God's love is so great that you must accept it just as you are. No matter how horrible that is. But His love is so powerful, it won't let you stay that way. It's going to change some things. And let's look in our Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John. And it's an amazing thing, this little uh, letter, this little epistle of 1 John, five chapters. And yet... It's the only book in the Bible where this phrase, the love of God, is found. And we won't even be able to take time to look at every place that is found here. But I want you to turn with me to chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected, hereby know we... That we are in Him. Now, do you get that? But whoso keepeth His word in Him, verily is the love of God perfected. If you will keep God's word, His love will be perfected in your life. Do you know why God calls sin, sin? Because it will kill you. It will destroy your relationships. It will cut you off from other people. It will steal every good thing that God wants to give you. That's why obeying His Word is the channel for His love to be in your life. I mean, we have an illustration that God has given us. It's human love between a man and a woman. And by the way, God has the right to define marriage, not the court system of the United States. But when a man and a woman are brought together in a love relationship, it alters the way they behave. And if it doesn't, then there's really something wrong there. Unless they were both perfect in the first place like my wife and I. No, I'm just being absolutely absurd to illustrate the point here. You see, love changes things. Here's the problem. We have the young man and the young woman, and they're in high school, and they have no business dating because they're not ready to get married. Don't date until you're ready to get married. One of my, I think it was Stephen Collins' dad. He said, "Is it is it time to start work, uh, being?" I said, "Son, are you ready to get married?" No. Okay. Well, then it's not time yet. It's just that simple. I mean, you can be friends, yes. But let's not, let's not get the cart before the horse here. One of my favorite little sayings is, you know what puppy love is? It's that which makes puppies act like dogs. Don't destroy the blessings that God's given you by listening to the world. But love ought to change the way you behave. That's why men need to be married. It's because we're so obnoxious. And and the Lord changes those things. And that's what a wife does. And Jesus says, listen, through the Apostle John here, if you'll keep his words, God's love is going to be perfected in you. This love that you Except, if you will accept God's love by believing that Jesus died on the cross, that He rose again from the dead, that He paid the price for your sins personally, if you will believe that and call upon the name of the Lord, He will save you. Amen? And then you'll let that word come inside. And it's going to change the way we live and the way we talk. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Isn't that an incredible thing? Now please don't raise your hands. I just want you to think about this this morning because I don't want anybody lying because I'm going to ask you a question that would be very embarrassing to answer in the negative in church. How many of you are glad you're in church today? Don't raise your hands. I don't want any liars out there. And if you're here today and you don't, you're not happy about it, I don't want to know. I'll just pretend. Amen. But you see, that's one of His commandments. And if you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with your love relationship between you and God. And that's something you've got to get fixed. You see, God puts something in human beings that we like to help each other. And I don't know how to get this across any other way. You cannot help someone else until you get things right between you and God first. You can't do it. Oh yes, you can do nice things and people will be grateful for the nice things that you have done. And people do get help by going to counselors and paying them lots of money for them to lie to them. But it's not Bible help. It's not the kind of help that's going to really be a, 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 a life-changing experience. If you want your life changed, God's the only one that can change it. Because only He can reach into the unseen workings of the heart. Man, those are some incredible statistics Brother Tim gave this morning. I never, never, ever thought about the heart like that. But aren't you glad you have one? Amen. But there's a part of that heart that doctors really don't understand very well. It's the part that's hardwired to your brain. And I've told the story, Paul Harvey did much research on this years ago, people with heart transplants in the old days, used to develop new likes and interests and hobbies that they had never had any inkling to before. And they found out that these were the same interests and hobbies that belonged to the donor of the heart. And it was a curiosity, men like Paul Harvey, he's not a scientist or a research uh, surgeon or any of those things, But they began to research and they found there's a little area in the very back of your heart. And when they do heart transplants today, when they take the heart, the dead heart, out of a person to put a living heart in, they leave that little section. They actually cut the heart apart in the back. And then they sew that section in and they take that section out of the dead person with the living heart And they sew the heart together. And of course, there's all the DNA testing and everything to make a match. Blood types, all of that kind of stuff. But you know what they find out? That that new heart with that missing piece sewed in begins to beat more regular with less problems. There's less chances of rejection. Everything works better. You see, God's love wants to be shed abroad in your heart. Romans chapter 5. And that happens as we keep His words. You know what I'm doing when I keep His words? I'm saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. What's more true than that? Hello? God's right. I'm wrong. I surrender myself to be obedient to His Word. And who benefits? Me. Not God. God does not need me. I need Him. That's why He loves me. Because I can't do anything for Him. I can't do anything to help him, but the Bible says I can bless him. Yesterday I got a little text from Sarah. She said, We were reading through the Baptist Times. I said, and Pamela, that's her daughter, saw your picture. And she goes, Papa. And I'm sitting there, Ooh, that just blessed my day. How many of you would like to be able to do that for God? Well, you have to surrender to his word instead of yours. You gotta understand that until you get things right here, what you do here is absolutely ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It has no bearing. Every good, quote-unquote, good thing you do is the wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be burned up on Judgment Day. Let's go, First John, I hope you're still open there to the book. Go back chapter 3, if you would. And verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth. In death. You see. I'm sorry. Yes. And. and uh, let's go to first John before we finish this point. Um, chapter five in verse two. It says by this. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Do you see what John's saying here? He said, listen, I know I passed from death into life. I know I'm saved because I can love other people. But here's how I love other people. By me keeping His commandments. You see, I don't love other people by looking at them and saying, oh, I feel so much love for you. Leave that to the movie stars. I remember, one, it was years ago, traveling with Brother Clayton and one of the guys that was on the team, young man with us, he's now a missionary in Africa, and he said, Pete, come here, you've got to see this. you got to, you can't believe it. And he was watching some woman preacher on television. And I'm sitting there going, oh, come on, Scott, No, no. And pretty soon she did it again. There it is again. She says, blow a kiss to Jesus, everybody. And I'm sitting there going, "Barf, that doesn't bless God. God doesn't want six stupid human emotions. You know what He wants? A willful obedience to His word. A willful surrender to His direction. A placing of ourselves in the line of authority that God has set up through His church. And when we do that, you know what we're doing? We're blessing God and we're loving other people. So many times we set out to be a help to someone else. i tell you, the most effective witnessing opportunities God has ever given me, I didn't go seeking for those opportunities. They just went poof as I was serving God. Some of the worst efforts, oh, I'm going to get that guy. I'm going to make him listen whether he wants. Well, they don't want to and they don't listen and it doesn't work. I've met some people... I call them gospel gunslingers. They're just looking. Hey, you! You need to get saved! Me? What's this crazy guy doing? Pray this prayer! Anything to get you away from me. And the guy goes away. I want another one, the Lord. I've met people like that. I stay away from people like that. I don't talk to people like that. The reason I bring them up is because they do exist, and if you're ever unfortunate enough to run into one, do whatever they say, make them happy, and walk away. Because that's not God's love. God is not interested in you getting notches on your spiritual gun belt. You know what He's interested in? You being obedient to His Word. That's how you love other people. 1 John 4.12 says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for a minute. And we've got to grab this thought here, and then we're going to try to tie everything together in the book of Jude. And I hope you don't mind moving around a little bit in the Scriptures but in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, you need to understand this. God's love is so powerful that you can never be separated from it. Look at that last verse. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of the most severest and horrible Chapters in the history of mankind have been under the premise of religious conversion. Don't take time to read the stories. But some of the darkest chapters in human history was written by the Roman Catholic Church in the middle centuries when they launched the Crusades against the heathen uh, infidels of islam to bring back the holy land in control of christ the deeds that those men did the wickedness that they perpetrated in bringing back the holy land to christ uh, i'll tell you what the only god they could have been serving was the devil Don't read the histories. If you, I normally don't. I, I'll tell you to check out the facts and make. Don't check out the facts of the Crusades. Just trust me. It is. It is such a horrible history. You don't need to know. Equals what was done in Nazi Germany. That's how horrible the levels of crimes committed. And Islam has used that all down through the centuries. In fact. Well, it was just a couple of years ago when the president used the word crusade. Uh, I think President Bush did by, uh, in, in a thing in every Islam nut in the world. Crusades are going to kill us all, you know. And they've used that for an excuse for the beheadings and the terrible tortures and the things that Islam has tried to perpetrate against the world. But I'll tell you one thing they've never been able to do. In those crusades, they would go into a town and kill every living person. You know what the crime was? People said, I want to experience the love of God as printed in the Bible, without priestcraft, without control of the Catholic Church. As the armies approached the town, one of the local priests came out to meet the captain he said, of the army and he of the armies of the Pope, and he said, Listen, you, you can't do in this town what you did in the others because there's some Catholics in this town. And here's what the captain said He said, We're going to kill them all. God knows those which are his own. And they raced the town from the face of the earth, every living thing in it. You see. That kind of stuff comes from the devil, not from God. But I want to challenge you, the people that were in that town that believed in God's word, I'm going to see in heaven someday. Because they had God's love. They were part of that whosoever. They simply believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said the way, the reason that they couldn't, the armies couldn't leave them alone, was because wherever there were pockets of those people who just believed the Bible, they stole people from the Catholic Church. Wherever those people were, when Islam held sway, they refused to bow the knee to Allah and would rather die serving Jesus Christ. You see, that's the history of the true Christian. And that's what this book, Romans chapter 8, is talking about. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. The question is, do you have it? All you have to do is surrender to it. God's love is there. His love is big enough that the whole world could be saved. Every person that ever lived. But it was Jesus that said, strive. Strive ye to enter in at the straight gate. He said, there's going to be many that try to get in, but they can't. Because they're holding too tightly to the things of this world. They're holding too tightly to their own ideas of how they should help people rather than just trusting God and letting Him make them help people. You see, loving people is the fruit of my relationship with God. A peach tree produces fruit because it's a peach tree. Amen? A Christian will have love because God's love is in them and we go to the book of jude and we'll be done very quickly this morning you see god's love is for the whole world god's love is for whosoever will god's love is not diminished because we reject it and god's love shed abroad in our lives make us obedient to his word it's just that simple No one can take it away from us. No force of nature. No force of the supernatural. But we get to this little book of Jude. And it tells us there that we're to earnestly contend for the faith. But I want you to skip down to verse 21 of the book of Jude, if you would. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now that's an interesting construction there grammatically. It is you understood is the subject. So this is a command. You are to keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, wait a minute, you just told me you can't lose the love of God. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's exactly correct. But we go back to that illustration of blessing. You see, you can't help God. But the Bible says we can bless Him. We can make Him... Pleased, where he will greet us with those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, when we meet him at the judgment seat. The word keep is an absolutely interesting word to study. The primary definition of keep as a verb, to pay attention or regard to, to observe, stand to, or dutifully abide by. An ordinance, law, custom, practice, covenant, promise, faith, a thing prescribed or fixed as a treaty, truce, peace, at a set time or day. So, the word keep means to adhere to, to pay attention, to follow, to carefully observe. But how many of you know that the word keep is a noun as well? In medieval times, a person's protection was based on a castle, and you would have the moat as a barrier to keep people from getting at the wall, which went around the castle, then you would have the various parts of the castle where the servants lived where the king lived where or the owner of the castle but in the very center of the castle usually the highest point the most reinforced place was called the keep that was the place of last resort that was the stronghold of the castle in In the Bible, in the book of uh, Judges and Samuel, you'll read about certain towns that had a tower that people would run into and and be protected from the armies uh, uh, that were invading them. And and, uh, that's the keep. Now, let me help you if you can. I, I want to get this thought across. What is the stronghold of the Christian faith? Love of God. Isn't it? That's what makes God's holiness apply to my life. That's what sent Jesus to the cross. The Bible tells us in 1 John, God is love. Solomon put it this way, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. That's why I still like that song, Hold the Fort. You see, I stay in the fort, but it's God that keeps the devil from knocking it down. Hello? You see, I keep myself in the love of God by dwelling in the keep of God's love. I keep myself in the love of God by living inside the fortress of God's love. You see, God's love is powerful. There is no force in the world that can deflect it, diminish it, strip it away from an individual to whom God has given it. but there are many Christians who try to live in God's love outside the tower or the fortress of God's love. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever tried to live without spending time, live for the Lord without spending time in this book? Tell you what, it's a pretty miserable experience. Because you're vulnerable to attack. You're not keeping yourself in the love of God. Because the love of God in your life is perfected by your obedience to the things that are written in this book. Are we together? I can start over again. This is what the whole sermon is about. See, you don't diminish God's love by not keeping it. You only hurt yourself. But if you'll accept God's love, it's going to mean surrender to His Word in His direction. He's put natural authorities in your life and He will keep you moving in the direction He wants you to move. If we'll stop trying to figure it out ourselves and just start doing it God's way. Can we say amen to that? You see, I'm supposed to keep myself in the love of God looking for the mercy How do we get mercy? Mercy is given to the defeated by the victor. It's me surrendering myself. I can't win the battles against my own flesh, let alone against the devil and the world. Who do you think you are that you're going to fight the world? It's not the way it works. You let Jesus fight the world. You Get in the Word of God. You dwell in the love of God. That's something you have to work at. It is something that you have to watch. You have to pay attention to. That's why it's a verb. Yet, if we'll look at it in a fuller sense, we keep ourselves in the love of God by dwelling in God's love. And God's love is His Word being obeyed in my life. And when I obey God's Word and His commandments are not grievous, when I keep His commandments, guess what? I have to reach out and help my fellow man, those that are around me. I can't stop. I cannot not do that. The only difference is it's going to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit instead of by my selfish, fleshly heart. And you see, that's the essence of true Christianity. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're striving for. That's what we have to battle for each and every day that we live. Keep yourselves in the love of God by dwelling in. In the keep, the tower, the fortress of God's love. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we know that there be many people here, each one of us, a different set of circumstances, a different set of things going on in our hearts and souls Lord, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to open our eyes to see the love of God and perceive it as it truly is. And Lord, for those in our midst today that are unsaved, that they would understand with their heart their need of your love and their need of a Savior to save them from themselves and their sin and this world in which we live. Lord, I pray for those that are saved. And life has become a struggle because they're not keeping themselves in your love. They're not dwelling in the Word of God. They're not letting God's Word be fulfilled in their lives. and Yet they try to love others, but it's only a cheap imitation of the real. Lord, I ask that you would help us to surrender our hearts and our beings to you. And that we would keep ourselves in the love of God by dwelling in the strong tower of your love, which is your word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have victory in lives today and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.